it's, it's been uh, really since last February, since my wife and I have been in a, in a, a room like this with people. So our city is still very much shut down and, uh, in a lot of ways, and, and it's just been good just to be in the house of the Lord today and, and, and worship together with God's people, amen? And um, so I'm a little emotional, like super emotional right now, um, just, just singing song, songs like Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, you know? And um, wow, um, got super emotional during that song, and uh, because of the cost and the reality that there is a cost um, in being obedient to the king that you say you follow. And, and I think about the story of, of Danny and Mariah and Christina and this right here. And, um, you know, this, their plan is, was, is way different than God's plan, right? And God put a dream in their heart um, to not just have a coffee shop, but to be the church in the city by using a coffee shop, amen, and, and to make disciples and to meet people and to share the gospel in the city, and, um, and so to see this happen, see this, see this happen is uh, really, it's a dream that God's put in their heart, and uh, what I have found out in life is that, especially in our journey as a church planting in, in Portland, Oregon, is that um, our plans, like Vernon said during our breakout, our plans are never God's plans. But his plans are better. Our plans are better. The, the, the problem is, is in the process of experiencing the better. Got it. That's right. No worries. In the process of, 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 in, of experiencing the better, in the middle of experiencing what God has for us in the future, it's just not for us what we expected. It's learning to deal with these unmet expectations. Amen? And learning that God's plan is always better. It's easy to look back. Amen? It's hard to be in the middle and trust. And I know in a, a setting like this, it's easy to say, yeah, I can trust, I can trust. But when you step out in obedience, because God never shows you what, you know, step four, five, and six is, right? Because it's about dependency, it's about intimacy. It was never about you doing something for God. It was about God doing something in and through you, amen? And so because of that, God's not gonna show you step four, five, and six because you never go, right? But you step out in obedience like Danny and Christine have done, the plan, God's plan didn't change. Our plans changed. Our plans got on his plans, and his plans are always better. And so that is not what I'm preaching on today. Um, but man, what, a, what an amazing moment, right? What an amazing moment in, a, in the life of, of this couple and uh, in this church. I love your pastor. I love Miss Nina, my wife and I, my wife Amy. Uh, we've known them for very, very many years. We, we actually lived in Las Vegas. I uh, did a residency here at Hope Church and moved to Portland, Oregon about six years ago to plant Remedy City Church. And it's been a journey. It's been a journey. Um, some of the, the greatest days of my life and some of the uh, most difficult days of my life. And, uh, but God's been faithful. We, we have our own space now. Amen. We, we're set, we set in a miracle. We own a, a building. It's crazy. Um, we're very much still a church plant, but we own a a $4 million building 15 minutes outside the city, um, like totally because God just put it in our lap. Um, my wife and I live in a house owned by missionaries in Japan who built the house for us to live in because the cost of living in Portland is so expensive. They built the house for us. We actually live in a house of people who are missionaries because God said, hey, I called you here. I'm gonna make it happen. It's not your plan, it's my plan. And I'm gonna give you a house to live in I drive a car, I'll tell you, 
how God supplies. I drive a car of one of my neighbors who's a lost man who doesn't know Jesus, but he's given it to me to bless me because he's seeing the blessing of the church in the city, and he's saying, hey, I want you to drive the car because you need a car. Like God's blessing through a lost man who's not even a believer to equip us, to supply for us what we need to fulfill the dream that God's put in our heart. That's what God does. In fact, we have mission teams that come up and they'll walk in our house. We have to tell them really quick. We're like, this is not a prosperity gospel because our house is nice. And you walk in and it's like, whoa, I don't want to be a church planner. And, and I always have to tell them the story like, like, this is not a prosperity gospel, but God did bless us. But let me tell you something. I truly believe this. I don't believe that God blessed us because of our obedience, but I think God was pleased with our obedience. I think he was pleased with our obedience, and by his blessing, it just, it just encourages us to continue on in the obedience. And, and that's something that we've learned. And so just today, what I want to do is, is um, I want to preach a message. I know, you, I know you've had a lot of great stuff today. But I want to preach a quick message for you guys today that I've entitled, Obedience is a Workout. Obedience is a Workout. If you'll uh, flip over with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Philippi, and he writes these two verses, verses 12 and 13 in chapter 2, which I think could be some of the most important verses for the Christian life. I think it could be some of those important verses for you to understand about how God actually works out the effects of salvation in your life. You know, salvation is not just a one-time decision. Salvation is a moment where God reveals himself to us, gives us the Holy Spirit by faith through Christ, by grace in Christ. We are saved, right, forever by God's grace. But God is also continually saving us through the process of what's called sanctification He's continuing to save us day by day. So God saved us, but he is saving us. And the way that he is saving us and transforming us, the way that he's helping us go deeper is through this process of working out in obedience. And so here's what, here's what Paul says. He says it like this. He says, so then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out. Somebody say work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purposes. Hey, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this moment. And God, I know that there's been some amazing truths that have been preached today. Lord, I pray that you would take this word, this moment, because you, you're the greatest Tetris player ever, God. You're able to move things around. You're able to make things happen. You're able to take things that, that, that the other speakers spoke today, and you're able to pull that into this message, God, because it's really one message today that you're speaking into our hearts. And so, God, I pray you would take this message, and Lord, it would just be a, another support, if you will, to what you've already showed us as we step into obedience to the things that you're already calling us to. We love you. We're here to go deeper. Lord, we're here. We're present. And we know you're present. And you see us. And you know we want to go deeper. So God, take us deeper in this moment. And all God's people say, amen. So how many of you guys love to work out? I like to work out. Good, like three of you. That's amazing. 
Uh, yeah, a couple of you like to work out, right? Um, now, some of you people like you on Instagram, you're the workout people. You know what I'm talking about, right? They get on Instagram and they're showing you all their workouts. They're like sweating in their garage, right? Like that just doesn't look fun at all, right? I mean, they're eating grass. You know, they're telling you what they're eating. Like, that doesn't look fun at all. I mean, Pastor H, you know, like chili chips and salsa for me are just not worth giving up. Just, not, you know, Pastor H, he loves chili chips and salsa. I do too. And so I would want to be one of those people that work out. I've always wanted to be one of those people that enjoy working out. Now, I can lie to you and make you look like on Instagram that I enjoy working out, like those people do on Instagram. But I actually don't like working out. I've always wanted to work out, just don't like to work out. Now, here's why I don't like to work out. The reason why I don't like to work out is because oftentimes working out equals pain. I don't like pain. I hate pain. I can't even stand to take my kids to the doctor to watch them in pain, right? I don't like pain. And so working out is a very, in, in a lot of ways, a very painful process. Now, how many of you know that when you're working out, the pain actually means something, Right? What's it mean when you're working out? It actually means that when you're experiencing pain, you're actually doing something good, right? It makes no sense. This stuff is crazy, right? You're actually doing something good for your body. When I was in high school, I wanted to play uh, football. Now, I'm a little guy, and I was a lot little, a lot smaller in, in high school, and I wanted to play football so badly. And so I took, uh, I, I played for two seasons just for spring practice, right? I tried two seasons just for spring practice. Now, if you know anything about spring practice, spring practice is tough. Right? Spring, spring workouts are tough because what you're doing is you're working up to be able to play the game in the season. Right? But the workouts of football in the spring just weren't worth it to me to actually play the games in the fall. And so I would play spring practice. And, you know, it's back the second year um, I got in my first scrimmage. And we were playing this, and I'm from the far east side of Tennessee. So way up in the mountains, I'm mountain people. If you watch like, um, you know, I don't know, the show Moonshiners, I guess. I don't know. Um, that's kind of like where I'm from. Um, I'm from the mountains of East Tennessee. And our football teams, you know, by 12, you have, like, mustaches. Like, like, like you, we kind of grow them somehow. I don't know how it happens, but it happens. And they're huge guys. I mean, these guys are just, they're huge. And somehow they're related and all that's really weird. But, but so we, so I'm playing in, in this scrimmage, and I get in finally, right? Like Carter, little Carter in the back. He's never been in a game. And they let me in a game, and they put me as free safety. Now, if you know anything about free safety, like you gotta be tough to play free safety, right? Because you're the last line of defense in free safety, and I swear the coach did this to get me out of football, right? And so they hike the ball. This massive hole opens up. Carter is playing free safety. This giant, huge mammoth of a man who was probably only 14, comes through this hole and absolutely annihilates me as he makes his way to the touchdown. Now, it's a funny story. It ruined my life, but it's a funny story. But the reality was, was the spring workouts were important because I needed to build up the strength to be able to play in the game and be ready when the game was going. Can I say this? I think this is a really important point to make. As I was sitting in the guy's uh, workout, um, workout, the session just a minute ago, it was a workout. We're talking about being obedient. We're talking about going deeper with the Lord. But can I tell you something? I think some of us don't really sit and think about, it's easy to say you want to do that in here. It's another thing to do that on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning out there. Let me tell you why. 
Because some of us are not sitting back and thinking about the cost that it's really going to take for us to go deeper. I'm not talking about justification. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about you going to heaven. I'm talking about the cost that it's going to take to dig into the roots of your life. And some of us, listen, I loved having the football jersey. I loved wanting to be on the team. You with me? But I'm concerned that a lot of us love being on the team. We just don't want to work out enough to actually be ready to play the game. And I think, I'm telling you, that's all I get? I mean, that's like awful. Like at Remedy, thank you. I'm at Walk Church. Pastor H, I'm at Walk Church, bro. I mean, I guess I should just quit. Um, better preach. Listen, working out is painful. Working out is painful. So what does Paul mean actually by working out your salvation? Well, in this text, Paul, you need to know this, Paul's not writing to unbelievers. He's not writing to non-Christians. Paul is writing to the Christian. Paul is not arguing that somehow we earn our salvation from working harder for it. Paul is saying, because you have been given salvation by grace through faith, we need to exercise what God has already given us, right? The word work out in the Greek actually means to produce. It means to, to bring about or to bring effect to or cause it to happen. Now, this is very, very important. It's a present tense verb in the Greek. Now, why is that important? It's so important. Because what that means is that the salvation that Paul is speaking of is, this, is an ongoing action. It's, it's not just a one-time decision. It's an ongoing action of working out the effects of our salvation. It means that God has saved you, but God is continually and desires to continue to want to save you. He wants to transform you. I tell our church all the time, if the best thing you have if the best thing you have in your relationship with God is what happened to you in a decision when you were 14, but now you're 60, that's not a relationship. That's a religion. If the best thing you have in your relationship with the Lord is just what you got on a Sunday morning four weeks ago, I'm telling you, that's not a relationship. If I talk to my wife once every four weeks, you know what we'd have? It's called a divorce. It wouldn't work. And part of this relationship that God's called us to, what Paul is saying, is that this is a continual relationship of working out our salvation. So here's what I want to do. I want to make this simple. I'm going to give you three realities, three realities to what it means to work out your salvation. And I want to umbrella it, umbrella it under one word, and it's this word, obedience. I believe that obedience is the, is the key to fully experiencing the working out, the full effect, the full effect of your salvation. Obedience. Now, I know that's not popular. In fact, our church very much is still online. And if I preach this message, I'll tell them, some of you just clicked off. You don't know that, that I said that about you, but you just did. You just clicked off. Because here's the thing. Some of us will check out when we use this word obedience because we hate this word obedience. We don't like for someone to tell us what to do. 
But this word obedient is necessary to understanding what it looks like to, to experience the full effect of your salvation. So let me give you number one. Number one is this. Our obedience is first and foremost motivated by God's love. It's first and, for, and foremost motivated by God's love. Now, what do I mean by that? If you read chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, he uses these two little words. He says, so then. You see that? So then. Some, sometimes a uh, translation might say, um, uh, therefore, right? When you see the word so then or therefore or because of, if you're like me, you read something and you like, forgot what you just read, like the, this chapter over, you with me? Well, if you run across a, a, a so that or a therefore, you need to stop what you're doing and read what Paul has already said up to that point, right? So what Paul is telling us is that Paul has already given us the motivation to be obedient. He's already given us the motivation to work out our salvation. He's already given us the motivation. So what's the motivation? Well, look back at chapter 2, verse 6. He says this. He says that Jesus did not consider it equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. No. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when he had come as a man in his external form, he what? He humbled himself to become what? Obedient. Walk church to become what? Obedient to what? To death. To death. To the point of death, even the death on the cross. So then Paul says, so then, my dear brothers, verse 12, just as you have always obeyed, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You get it? Paul's saying because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, the only proper response to what Jesus has done for us is a life full of obedience. Now, we don't like this because we live in a republic. Now, praise God for the republic. But because we live in a republic, we don't understand that God's kingdom is a monarch. And because God's kingdom is a monarch, there's a king. And the reason why most of us read the Bible wrongly is because we read it like Americans. We don't read it like kingdom people. And God's word is written to a kingdom people, right? A kingdom people with a king. And there's only one king. And it's not you. And it's not me. It's Jesus. Period. And because Jesus is the king, Jesus... Listen, Jesus didn't use his life to lord over us. Jesus actually did what? Humbled himself to obedience. So if Jesus is obedient and God highly exalted him at the name of Jesus, that every name would, every person would bow and every person would confess that he is Lord. And because of that, if Jesus is doing that and now Jesus is living his life in and through me as the Christian, then my life is going to be a life of what? Obedience. Because that's who Jesus is. I tell our church, if you can't humble yourself and be obedient, don't tell me that Jesus is living in and through you. Because Jesus is obedient. Jesus is humbled. Jesus lived a life of obedience to his Father. You see, we love grace. Oh man, we love it. We sing songs. We're like, yes, thank you, Jesus. 
for grace upon grace upon grace. You know that song, right? Grace upon grace upon grace. Yes, we should. We're not singing songs like, Jesus, thank you for obedience. Thank you for having lordship over my life. Thank you for, hey, I thought that was my plan, but you had a better plan and you took my plan away. And in fact, it's actually a harder plan, but it's the best plan. Thank you that I get to be obedient to the king because in my obedience, I'm more like you. Obedience makes us feel weird. It rubs us wrong. It actually, we don't like the word because we don't like to be told. Well, now listen, here's the thing. All religions, all religions teach that obedience to their deity is a good thing. But it's the reason to why a person shall obey God is what makes Christianity very, very different. And here's how. We don't become children of God by what we do. We become children of God by what we believe, not by how we behave. And what we believe about Jesus as the king might be only proper response is humbling ourselves in obedience. Now, as a dad, I have four kids. I have a 10-year-old, I gotta get this right, a 10-year-old, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a two-year-old. I have, I have one boy and three girls, which means I'm absolutely broke. And, and I love my kids, but as a dad, I want my kids to obey me. Any parents in the house? I want my kids to obey me, but I want more that they know how much I love them and that I want what is best for them. So out of the overflow of that, that I know what, that I want what's best for them and that I love them, out of the overflow of that, that they obey me. It's the reasoning why they obey me, which matters to me more than that they obey me. You see, I think this is important. God wants his children to obey him. God wants the best for his children. Just as I want the best for my children, but here's the problem. I don't know what's always best for my children. But that's not the same with God. God not only knows what's best for you, he wants what's best for you. And because he wants what's best for you and he knows what's best for you, the only right and wise response would be to obey him. And by obeying him, it's not limiting us from life it's actually saving us to freedom to walk in life. Jesus is actually trying to save you by being obedient. You say, Pastor Josh, saving you from what? You. Like we don't have a sin problem, we are the problem. And because we are the problem and we don't always know what's best, in fact, we challenge choose what's not best, because we don't want to know what's best and because we don't always know um, how to get to the best, we should trust God who knows what's best and wants our best. You see, many of us want Jesus to be the Savior. We love his grace. We just don't want him to be our king. It's not, listen, it's not a message that's popular, but it's a message as a pastor that we would be completely wrong as pastors not to teach you the Bible speaks that obedience is as necessary to the Christian life as grace is. Our motive behind that grace is God's love. Number two, 
Our obedience is a process of experiencing his love. So our motive behind obedience is that Jesus was obedient in what he's done for us. But our obedience is actually a process then of experiencing his love. What do I mean by that? Well, verse 13 says, For it is God who is working in you, enabling you, both to desire and to work out his good purposes. When we receive Jesus as our Lord and our King of our life, we start this process of him working out, working out this salvation through obedience. But oftentimes, hear me out, this working out process brings tension and pain. Now, here's what I mean by that. I have found that God has done the deepest and most transformational work in my life, not in just the good times of my life, but rather in some of the most painful seasons of my life when I'm being the most obedient in my life. I'm going to say it again because some of you just missed it. And I'm telling you, you're going to step out in obedience to God, and it's not going to go like you think. And you're going to start questioning, did you miss God? But I'm going to tell you that being obedient is a process whereby we get to experience a more deeper level of God's love. Because I have found that God does a deeper work in my life in some of the most difficult days of my life because it was never about what I do for God. It was always about me being with God. And when I'm being with God in the most difficult seasons of my life, I get to experience God in the bottom. I get to experience God in those moments. I get to know God. I get to know that I can depend on God because I depended on God in the moment and God came through. Here's why this matters. Here's why this is true. In order for there to be more of God in me, there has to be less of me in me. And oftentimes, I have found in my life that in order for God to do something bigger and deeper in me, bigger and deeper within me, I have to walk through pain so there can be less of me. And many times, the things that God is leading me into oftentimes has much less to do with what I can do for him, and it's really more about me being with him. Friends, working out your salvation is painful, but the results are worth it. Like how many of you have ever gone to the gym, put a good workout in, and you left the gym and you thought, why in the world did I just do that? Has anybody ever worked out before and then said, why why do I keep doing this to myself? Has anybody ever said that? No, why? Because you feel good that you did what? You worked out, you're getting better, right? But I guarantee you, a lot of us who say we're going to work out hit the snooze button on Monday morning and you feel bad the rest of the day because you didn't work out. You with me? I have found in my life that in order for God to do something bigger through me, it's got to go deeper in me. And like many times in my life, God will call me into a season in my life to bring tension in my life so that I can go deeper in my life for more of him and less of me. More of him and less of me. Jesus loves tension. We hate it. In fact, we actually pray it out of people's lives. Did you know that? We do. We actually pray it out of people's lives because we want to control the plan for their lives. We like being the Savior. We just hate trusting the Savior to meet them. We like fixing people's problems. We just don't like trusting God to fix their problems. 
Because ultimately, it gets back to this issue. It really gets back to this issue of do I trust him as king and what's best for their life? Then I can trust him with their life and I can trust him with my life. Jesus loves tension. In fact, Jesus would often put his disciples in moments where there was tension. Why? Because he was teaching them about intimacy over ministry. And Jesus would put them in these situations, feeding the 5,000. You don't think Jesus knew what to do? You think it was like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? No, Jesus put him on the, on the boat in the storm. You didn't think Jesus knew what was gonna happen? You didn't think Jesus knew what to do? No, Jesus knew exactly what to do. But Jesus loved to put them in tension because tension is how we grow. I guarantee you, if you don't have tension in your life, Vernon, you with me? Here's back, back to his session. If you don't have tension in your life, you grow stale. You grow stale and you grow dry. You know why? Because we naturally in our sin state start to, tend to, to depend on ourselves. Tension actually drives us. I'll give you an example of this. When we moved to Portland, we had a, a girl that moved on our team and, and um, uh, she was working at a, a gym and nobody in the gym is Christians. And, and, and she had a, a, a girl come in one day and ask her about the book of Malachi, which is so crazy out of nowhere. It's how God works. And so God puts Chelsea in this moment where this girl is, God is working on this girl. And, uh, and so she, she, she's there and this girl says, well, tell me about the book of Malachi. And she's like, well, why are you asking me that? She's like, well, I have a cousin named Malachi, something like that. She's just trying to make conversation. You know how those people do who don't really know anything about the Bible. They just want to make conversations with you about the Bible. So that's kind of what's happening this moment. And, and so, so Chelsea says, so she says, what's the, or she says, Chelsea, what's, what's, what's the book of Malachi about? Now here's the thing. If I ask any of y'all what the book of Malachi is about, some of y'all are gonna be like, I'm just, I'll tell you later, right? Right? Like most of you, right? Now, if we had a study, an eight-week study here on the book of Malachi, a lot of people wouldn't show up, right? But if you had a friend who needed to know Jesus and they approached you with a question to want to know what the book of Malachi was about, you know what you'd, do, you'd go home and do that night? You'd read the book of Malachi. You'd become the greatest study of the book of Malachi. You know why? Because you have a tension in your life to actually attention in their life in your life that God's giving you an opportunity to share the gospel with someone and that tension is actually driving you to learn. You with me? Tension is a good thing. I tell you that because of this. Danny and Christina, your story, your dream. I have found in my journey, because I have found out that working out of my working my, out my salvation is a lot of pain, painful experiences. I have learned that it's in the tension of those moments where I'm dependent upon, depending, upon, depending upon God. That when God's doing their greatest work in me, God's doing their greatest thing in me and their work in me, I would never trade those moments on the backside for anything in the world because I understand the tension was actually what God was using in me to experience his love in those moments. In those moments of loneliness, in those moments of, God, what are you doing? It was in those moments where God would meet me in those moments because I needed him. Are you with me? It's why someone who has a diagnosis with cancer, you ever meet people who just know Jesus, they get a diagnosis with cancer, and it's like they just kind of beam Jesus. You with me? They just kind of like ooze Jesus. Why is that? It's because I believe that God gives them a special experience of his love in those moments, that the overflow of his love is sustaining them through that, and they would never experience that without the tension. Tension is a process. It's a, it's obedience is a process, and it often involves Tension. Now, how many of you love, last thing, and I'm almost done. How many of you love um, Amazon? You like Amazon? My wife loves Amazon. A little too much. Praise the Lord. Um, I love Amazon. 
But it's a conversation in our house. Amazon box comes. Hey, why'd we get that? Well, the deal of day. Well, why did you need to buy it? Well, like I said, it was a deal of day. It had a five-star review. Well, but like it had a five-star review, but like why do we need it? Well, it, had a, it was a deal of day, five-star review, and like when you need it, you'll have it, right? That's like a constant conversation in our house, right? But listen, when you, when you, when you order something on Amazon, you get this little number. It's a tracking number. And you put that tracking number, and you know what happens? You can track the package that's coming to your house right? A tracking number. And what it'll say, it'll say something like, your package is in transit. It's in route. How many of you know that the Christian life, a life of obedience, of becoming more like Christ, is actually a life in transit, right? This is a good illustration because the people of God, we are in transit. We are en route to becoming more like Christ. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and work out his good purposes, 2 Corinthians 3 says it like this. We all with unveiled face, we are, work, we are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, and we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Amen? Philippians 1.6 tells us that God who began a good working within you, within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. That means that the best days are ahead of us. The best days are ahead of us because God is transforming us in the image of his son. But don't miss this. But the way that God's going to do that is obedience. It's obedience. And so here's the last truth about obedience. Obedience is motivated by his love because of what he's done for us. Obedience is the way that we experience his love in the tensions of our life when we need God the most. And number three, really quickly, is obedience is our opportunity because we are loved. Obedience is an opportunity because we are loved. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. I'll give you an illustration, and I'm done. If my son, if I decided I want to buy my son NBA tickets to go see the, the Portland Timbers play, go Timbers, if, uh, the Trailblazers, I said Timbers, Portland Trailblazers, go Trailblazers. If I, let my, if I decided I wanted to let my son go to an NBA game by himself, but I buy him tickets to go sit on the bench with Damian Lillard, right? If I wanted to do that, to show him the love to do that, I would set that up and I'd say, son, if you go to the game tonight with these tickets that I bought you to sit on the bench with Damian Lillard, you're going to have the most incredible experience of your life. Now, here's the key. As his dad, I bought the tickets. The tickets are already paid for, but it's his opportunity to make the choice to go to the game. You with me? The tickets are bought just like your salvation. Your obedience doesn't change your salvation. Your obedience just allows you to enjoy your salvation. Whoa, my goodness. It allows you to enjoy your salvation. It's an opportunity for it. The tickets are bought, but you have to pay the cost to get ready. You have to pay the cost to get to the game, and you have to pay the cost to go enjoy the benefits of your salvation in the game. You have to make the choice to go. God did not make you a robot. God gave you a will. He allows you to make the choice, and your choice does not change his effects of you. If my son doesn't go to that game, I still love my son. Why? Because he's my son. I love my son. But if my son chooses not to go to the game and enjoy the game, it's his choice, but he just misses out. I want my son to enjoy the game. 
I want my son to go sit and enjoy the game. But if he doesn't go, it's his choice. He misses out. God's greatest desire for you is to obey him because he has an opportunity for you to experience the best for your life. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says like this, he who calls you is faithful, he will do it. I be, listen, Craig Rochelle, a great pastor in Texas, says it like this. He says, I believe Christians often perceive obedience to God as some test designed to just see if we're willing to commit to him. But what if it's designed as God's way to giving us what's best for us? Part of this process of making the choice to obey God is trusting that God knows what's best and wants what's best. And we have to make the choice to obey him. Now, I say that because I believe that God put that on my heart to share with somebody in this room. And I want to speak very directly to you. And I, and I, I really believe this is a God moment in your life. Right here it is. Somebody here today is living in direct disobedience to what God is calling you to do. You are choosing what is temporarily satisfying versus trusting God for what is long-term fulfilling. And you are choosing what you think is best regardless of what God is saying to you through his word and through the counsel of his people. And can I tell you that the quickest way to destroy God's destiny for your life is to disobey God's direction, plan, and counsel in your life. The quickest way to destroy God's destiny for your life is to disobey God's direction, plan, and counsel for your life. Friend, I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. You're going to heaven because grace. I'm saying you're going to miss out on heaven on earth and what God has for you because you're choosing to disobey the God who knows what's best for you. Proverbs 14, 12 says like this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it's way to death. In our text today, when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that word fear and trembling is not that you're afraid that God will keep pressing down on you. O.S. Hawkins, and if you don't know the guy, O.S. Hawkins, pastor, and he leads an organization called Guide, so now within our convention. And Pastor Hyde and I had a privilege sitting in a room with him one day, and he, said, he spoke this word, Pastor H, that just like, you know what I'm about to say. It's powerful. O.S. Hawkins said, the fear of God for the Christian is not that God would keep pressing his hand down on you, the fear of God is that because of your disobedience, God would take his hand off of you and the anointing off of you and let you go down the path that you choose to go. Somebody knows what God is telling them to do, but they're deciding to walk down the path that looks easier, that looks more fulfilling, that looks what's best, what they think is best for their life. In God who loves you as your son, he loves you as a son or a daughter is saying to you today, you can continue to go down that path and I still love you and I still have a place for you because I'm that good. But I would rather you go down this path because this path is what's best for you to experience the working out and the enjoyment and the joy of working out my salvation in your life on earth as it is in heaven. Obedience. I can give you seven steps. Do this, do this, do this. But I think you know. Because if you have the Holy Spirit, he does it better. And he's speaking to you right now and you know what to do. And you just need to step out and say, I'm gonna stop going down my path and I'm gonna stick your path 
and we're going to trust you because you know what's best and you know you want what's best and you want me to experience the, 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 the richness of your love in your best. And it's motivated because you love me, so I'm going to trust you in the best and I'm going to step out and trust you as my king. And it's an opportunity for me to become more like the Savior that I say I follow. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for you? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much, God, for your word. I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for Pastor H. I thank you for Miss Nina. I thank you, God, for just the blessing and honor to preach here at Walk Church. You do an amazing work. God, I remember when this church started on the knees of Pastor Hyden in an office room with me, and I'm seeing a miracle before me. But God, the greatest hindrance to seeing this church and the miracle of this church continue to reach more people, reach more people, see the city changed. It's not that you don't want to do it. God, it's, it's, it's at the lack of desire to want to work out and experience what you've called us to do by obedience. God, I pray this church will be an obedient church. I pray this church would value the obedience of, of your people God, not just the praises of our people, but the actual praise and worship of our life through obedience of your people. So God, I pray for an obedient church. And I pray that every word that's preached from this pulpit would not land on ears and just stay in the head, but it would go the 18 inches to the heart and it'd be transformed by the obedience of actually working out the things that you're calling them to do. Would they step out in faith and trust a God who loves them and experience your love in the pain when it all goes different than they think. But trust you at the end of it, it's worth it. Because working out our salvation is worth it because we become more like our King. And that's what we're asking for today, God. And I pray an anointing on this church in that. And that you would do an amazing miracle, continue to do miracles through this body of believers as they're obedient to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you.